Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 47. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them, how'd they get in the classroom? What are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future? In this episode, I sit down with Kelly Cluthy. Kelly is a biology teacher at Olathe West High School in Olathe, Kansas. She also recently accepted a position to teach biology classes at Baker University. Kelly has presented at both state and national biology meetings, including the 2017 NABT National Conference, where she presented project-based learning in the NGSS biology classroom, along with Camden, Hanslick, Burton, and Andrew Davis. Kelly was the 2016 recipient of the Kansas Outstanding Biology Teacher Award. She has held many roles within the Kansas Association of Biology Teacher, including OBTA director and secretary. You can follow her on Twitter at Cluthy Science. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. So we're here, and this is going to be my late May episode. This is going to probably come out, and you're going to have like like two, three days left of class when this comes out. So you'll be you'll be primed for summer. Um, you just now got to get through the last couple days of class and your finals. But uh, when this comes out, you'll be, you know, you'll be like cleaning classrooms and uh, and and putting books away and that sort of thing. So. Uh, it'll be Partly. exciting time for you. Yeah. I'll have a month left, but um, <laughs> but I found a way of getting out of most of that. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm great. I, I don't know. I don't think I've actually told you this, but this is a uh, this was actually a requested interview. This is one of my uh, my requested interview. So um, I was I was chatting with uh, I was chatting with David Kanufke and he's like, oh, you got to get Kelly Cluthy on. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I agree. Um, and I was like, do you know her? And he's like, well, just from posts and stuff. And I was like, yeah, me too. So, so uh, I think we uh, we both probably messaged you on Twitter to tell you you should be on this episode. And it was great that you could uh, line this up. So, yeah, uh, I haven't done this before, so I'm really excited. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Well, I've had a, I've had a fair number of, uh, I feel like I've been, I, I moved from different parts of the country. Like last year, I went into like this Ohio zone, and I interviewed like. A million people from Ohio, and I feel like I've just like been living in Kansas the last couple of months uh, with all the Kansas teachers, so or former Kansas teachers. Camden was on there a couple yeah. of episodes back. I saw. So. Yeah, and I've been chatting with a bunch of uh, a bunch of your fellow uh, uh, Kansas biology teacher folks on in various you know between Twitter and Slack communities and, and various things like that. So sure. yeah, this morning having some spirited discussions about uh, standards based grades. Um, so <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit. All right, so let me get into the question I like to ask everyone. First, uh, how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the science classroom? Um, well, I grew up just always that kid that was outside collecting insects and lizards. Um, I always enjoyed nature and was really curious about what was going on around me. So I think as I got older, biology was a pretty natural uh, route for me to take. Um, one of our close family friends, Judith Kelly, was also my third grade teacher, and she was really inspirational and kind of got me on the idea that I might also like teaching in addition to studying biology. Um, once I got into later years of high school, I ended up going to the University of Kansas uh, to pursue my biology degree. And I also enrolled in the UCAN Teach program. Um, 
I met Carol Williamson there at the You Can Teach program, um, and I was just inspired by her energy and her passion for the profession. So it was something that once I tried, I knew I had to do. All right. So you go in, you get roped in by the Williamsons, which is a yep. standard standard refrain. Um, Little so did I get, know that be happening a lot. <laughs> yeah, and you. So you get this biology degree, and and you get your a certificate as well as a. Is it? Do you do you pursue a master's? I I know I've talked to a few Kansas folks, but you get your certificate along with a biology degree, which lets you go right in the classroom. Yeah, it was a BS program, so I got my biology degree along with my certification to teach high school. Mm-hmm. So all four year program, it was really awesome. So you go out there and then, you know, what's the what's the biology teacher market like in Kansas? It seems like they grow biology teachers on trees out there. So um, you go out and and what's it like, you know, to, to start teaching out in Kansas? Um, you know, it's been a little rough this last 10 years or so being a biology teacher in Kansas between a lot of our uh, budget issues, which have gotten a little bit of nationwide attention, um, but also Back in like 2010 or so, there were a lot of arguments about biology standards going on about whether or not we teach evolution or not. So Kansas recently has not always been the most welcoming environment for biology teachers, but I think um, between all the awesome teachers that have been in place prior to recent drama and the teach program, um, we really do have just a lot of support. the enrollment, I think, down in the You Can't Teach program recently is not super great. And I don't know mm. if it's because of, you know, last election and everything. I hate to get too political, but it seems to have an effect on how teachers are pursued and are viewed and how they're treated. Well, I think, I mean, you're, you're opening the door for this. And so, you know, yeah. you mentioned the, the Kansas budget and I spent... Um, entirely too much time for somebody who lives in Massachusetts uh, reading about Kansas school budgets um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, But I know that the budget in the Kansas schools has gone through this really, I mean, drama is the thing that comes to mind, where in the past year you have a a court order that basically tells the legislature you've got to fund the schools. Um, And then there was a very will they, won't they thing that played out over a couple of months. And then they did just pass $500 million budget uh, to come in. And I know that $500 million at, at the surface sounds like a lot of money, but if you've been you know, starving of money for a decade, $500 million, I, I, I do wonder if that's a, enough. Um, but I do, not to go down a whole political role, I, considering that climate, um, it is amazing how those biology teachers, is, is that really just a reflection of, you mentioned the the you can teach, but it's also a reflection of the KABT network and the support that is going on within your state that allows you guys to focus on the the teaching and learning that that you guys work on. You know, um, one of the drawbacks of KABT right now or the Kansas Association of Biology Teachers is that we have been very focused up into the northeast region of the state, mm-hmm. um, which is also the most pop, uh, densely populated part of the state. So we're Topeka. Lawrence, Kansas City are all located. We don't have a whole lot of connections out in central and western Kansas where a lot of those uh, rural schools are, and those are the schools that are hurting the most with all these budget cuts. Um, I would say in our region in the northeast, things have been really awesome, and we do have a great support network between You Can Teach and KBT, and then we have people like 
uh, Brad Williamson and Stan Roth and Stephen Case and Harry McDonald, who have been great mentors to newer teachers coming into the profession. Um, but that is something that we are trying to focus more on as an organization is trying to offer the support that we have, luckily in the Northeast, to the rest of the state. Yeah, and uh, it is one of those those things that I actually think is you could make a strong parallel um, with Massachusetts, with yeah. New York. With I mean, in Massachusetts, we have Boston, and we have inside 128, where it is the big population center. And you know, I grew up on the western part of the state, and I grew up right next to a university. But there are lots of of you know pockets of the state where you are not next to a university, you're not next to a city, you're not next to a lot of industry. So if you want to be a professional teacher and have a spouse who makes a living, um, it is it is a challenge to do that. So I don't think it's it's necessarily unique um, to states, but uh, I, I just think and think of like the size of the states, uh, the size of Kansas is I, I don't know how many Massachusetts you could fit in Kansas, but yeah. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's many uh, just from my weird perspective. So I, my guess is that if you if you drove like for like an hour north south you probably couldn't go through the whole state you know right. um, yeah like and if you drive three hours from one end to the very end you you don't like go out of the state so uh you're probably a little bit bigger than that yeah it's just a discrepancy between where we are in like my district is pretty wealthy in comparison to a lot of the other districts out in the central uh, western part of the state and some of the schools out in western kansas are on four-day school weeks because they just can't afford that fifth day with transportation and all the different uh, costs that come with keeping buildings open. Mm. I mean, it's crazy seeing what some of those districts are dealing with out there. Yeah, and I was I I brought this up originally when I was thinking is I was wondering about you know when I saw you know recently West Virginia and the teachers going on the strike in Arizona and going on there. And I was wondering, um, when I started going down that rabbit hole of Kansas, I was wondering, yeah. was it on the radar of Kansas? Is this, is this something that could have potentially happened or with this, you know, $500 million budget deal going on, was it, was it too precarious for people to bring up in, in a state like Kansas? You know, I would not have been surprised if there was a walkout in Kansas. Um, I, well, I guess we'll see what this budget that was recently passed, what this does for the schools. I mean, obviously, I don't think that money's going to go far based on the hole that the schools are in right now. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out next year or so. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get out of the, the political uh, bucket that we've uh, waded into here. And let's yeah, go back to you as... No, I, and also let's get back to you as a teacher because because um, I think that's it's more important. Um, so uh, when you when you started uh, teaching, you started at um, was it was oh I didn't even ask about how to pronounce this one. So and there's no way I'm going to get this right. Uh, Wyan uh, Wyandot was it Wyandot? Yeah. Wyandot. Wow, I got it right. Wyandot High School. Uh, so you was that your first teaching job? It was. Um, so once I graduate from the You Can Teach program, uh, Wyandot was my first teaching job where um, I taught, let's see, freshman biology, environmental science, and physics my first year. That was mm -hmm. a little bit of a surprise for me. <laughs> and I was teaching physics until about two days before the kids came. Um, it's a large urban school in Kansas City, Kansas, and now I am at my second school, which is the Lake the West, which is a large suburban school uh, mm -hmm. right outside Kansas City. So I've gone... From a suburban environment to a more, or an urban environment to a more suburban environment, it's been interesting. 
Yeah, and and uh, when you were, were, were there, I mean, this is where you you got your OBTA award. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that you exper- you explored a little bit with standards based grading, as I uh, sort of mentioned earlier. And so, uh, you know, I, actually, I wrote this question before we we started ha- having a little uh, discussion on the Slack this morning. So I actually wanted to know about your experiences with standards based grades because I know you started and explored it in one place, and then you switched schools, and I know that that often means you know different rules and different mm-hmm. norms and that sort of thing. So I'm a little curious about first your experiences with standard-based grades and also, you know, what's sort of the state of your current grading system sure. where you are? All right. Well, at Wyandotte, um, there was a big district-wide push to adopt Marzano's proficiency scales. I don't know how many people mm-hmm. are familiar with them, but um, basically it is a zero to four scale um, with the three being at standard. Um, at Wyandotte, I did have a lot of freedom to try things. And I had a lot of support from my admins and parents. Um, as long as I met those district goals within Marzano's framework that we are working within. I actually got the most pushback on the system from colleagues in the building. I think at the time I was the only person in my school doing standards-based grading. So it, there were a lot of questions from coaches and eligibility and mm. yeah. So uh, once I moved over to my current school, um, I was able to change my system up a little bit more. Um, I'm at a place where it's quite a bit different than where I started because I'm no longer trying to work under Marzano's umbrella. Um, mm-hmm. So I've incorporated quite a few ideas from uh, Paul Strode and Stephen Young, who is another biology teacher within my district, and also some English and social studies teachers at my current school. Um, luckily, I'm not the only person trying to do standards-based grading now. I've got a lot of support within um, my building. So right now, instead of doing a zero to four scale, I'm doing a zero to three, where uh, three would be work that um, re- needs minimal revisions. Um, a two in my scale would be a partial revision needed, and a one would be that there are serious revisions needed. So the idea behind my system is that students can always improve and always revise with them. So mm. I'm not super happy with them hitting the standard and then just calling it good. I want to see if they can push it a little bit further. Um, students don't receive points on any assignments or tests or anything. They just get one of the one, two, or threes on their assignments. And my hope it hasn't always been perfect yet, is that students, by doing this, will focus more on the learning rather than the compliance piece. So mm. Getting work turned in on time and all these other things that sometimes get wrapped up with the grade. Mm-hmm. So I try to make the grade reflect learning more than can they follow up with my instructions. All right, so we got to unpack a whole lot of stuff here. So yeah. now, do you when you when you get your grades, you so you have your standards, you communicate them out. Mm-hmm. Um, the report cards that they get, do mm-hmm. they get a standards based graded report card, or do you have to do some hocus pocus magic to convert your zero to three scale into a grade on a report card? I do. Um, so I'm still working within my district in a more traditional. Uh, grading system, so we still have A's through F's, and we do have to, unfortunately, convert my one, twos, and threes into a letter grade, and with only, like, a three-point system, doesn't convert quite as nicely as a four-point system, so a four is not 
an A, three a B, et cetera. Um, right now I have kind of percentages tied to those numbers um, where my three goes in the grade book as a 100%. The students only see the one, two, three, but does calculate a percentage kind of behind the scenes. Um, a two is 80, a one is a 60, and a zero is a 50. Um, however, that does not necessarily mean that the student is going to get that percentage on their report cards. Um, I've been trying to get students to reflect more on their progress towards learning and meeting those uh, standards that I give them. So if the student, for example, I had a student last semester who was absolutely brilliant. She did well on all the tests and projects and all these major things that we've done throughout the year but she really sucked at just turning in like daily assignments and keeping up with some of the smaller things. Um, she obviously knew what she was doing, but if you were to look at her grades, you would see a ton of missing work there. So rather than ding her on a report card, when she obviously knows the material, um, students can use reflections and I actually use uh, the CER model with these reflections. So the students can write me a grade or a grade claim letter where they claim the letter grade they think deserves to go on their report card. They have to back up that claim with evidence from throughout the quarter and then kind of explain what they've done really well and what they still need to improve on. So you do have to do the magic hocus pocus. And I know that from, from other side conversations that uh, we've been involved in that, that, so you now have this zero that mm -hmm. could be a 50, mm -hmm. but is a zero ever a zero? So if a student doesn't hand in work, Mm -hmm. I know that that in you've had some conversations about sort of some pushback on whether or not, you know, you almost have like two zeros in your system. You have your zero in your standards based scale and then you have mm -hmm. a zero in your percentage world as well. And you've had a little bit of pushback in that zero in your percentage world right. uh, component. And this is from where, where I've changed my mind, I think, over the school year. Um, at the start of the year, I was very, well, OK, if you didn't do the work, then obviously that's a zero. Like, I don't care what planet you're on, like here is a zero. But as I've talked to a lot of my new colleagues, they've really changed my mind on this where now my zero goes in the grade book as a 50%. You know, 50% is still not showing mastery of anything. It's still an F, but it doesn't dig students into the hole that uh, a zero would. Mm -hmm. So waiting between a zero being a one or 0% up to a 59% just takes up way too big of a spectrum on a hundred point scale. So yeah. then set down a little bit. And so even though that percentage isn't necessarily what goes on the grade card for students, um, still when students look at that and parents look at that, I don't want them being discouraged by a low percentage. Yeah. And we've had, and I've, I've been listening to a lot of these conversations about standards-based grades and, um, and I, you used the word compliance a little earlier uh, when you were talking. And I, I've always, I've always really respected the idea that one of the major flaws we have with sort of traditional grades is that, you know, we we do have a big compliance component to it. Um, so mm -hmm. students who are very good at school, they amass a very large number of points, and it doesn't necessarily reflect their learning. Right. But I guess my my thinking that I've been struggling with personally about learning is that as I have changed my thinking about science, I, I used to be a very much a stickler. Like they come to my classroom, it's a science classroom. They learn about science. But in reality, like 
they're also learning about how to be a human being. And right. I almost like want their like, I don't know what to call these. And I've called them like nine different things probably today in different conversations. I want like a human being standards. Like I want something that talks about like, you know, how you, how you are as a learner, mm-hmm. how you are growing as a person, how you're developing, you know, interest and how you're respecting others and how you're respecting yourself and I want there to be some way of providing feedback ultimately mm-hmm. to students. I don't necessarily, I, I don't know if grades are the right words, but I want to provide feedback to students that are like, you know what? You really struggled on this test. You really struggle on these standards, but you want to know what? You're a top notch individual. Like right. you do all of the right things. Your peers really respect you. People want to work with you. Mm-hmm. Like that, that should have some weight. And similarly, like, yeah, you crushed this test, but you're a jerk. Like, nobody wants to work with you. Okay. Um, I have this spectrum. And and our current system is, or at least my current system, is very much weighted towards the person who, it doesn't matter if you do all the right things. It's about how you ultimately score on the the assessments. Right. And whether those are tests or labs or that sort of thing. And And there seems to be a... You know, I always wonder about what are the unintentional things that we reinforce with our grading system? Mm-hmm. We've created this game of school. Even you have to do it. Even your standards-based system, you got to do the conversion over. So I'm sure that students are very good at school, probably do pretty good in your system. Yeah, for sure. And and I wonder about this other thing. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's somebody who's much smarter than me who's thought about this in a, in a much better way. But um, this is sort of where my headspace is. And I'm not 100% sold on standards-based grades, partly because I kind of feel like it doesn't fix that part of it. And right. maybe if I did have a set of standards that were about, like, the human being standards, um, then maybe I would be like, yep, now I've got it. I, get, I have my – I got my, my content. I got my practices. I got my, like, being a human being – I now have the ability to give fe- give feedback to my kids in all different avenues. I might feel a little bit different. Sure, um, that's me. What we want for students, we don't just want them to be good scientists. We want them to good be good people. Yeah. And if you feel like interviewing another Kansan, uh, Jessica Rhodes is yeah. another person to talk to. She's been talking about having one of these uh, soft skill rubrics for our students for a couple of years now. It's something that she's very passionate about, and. I, I definitely agree. I wish there was some way to assess that along with the content knowledge. And I'm not entirely sure how you do that. It is such a hard line to walk. Um, yeah. my, my new school is a PBL school. Mm-hmm. So part of our expectations at West is that students are collaborating with each other um, almost on a daily basis. And some of those softer skills are kind of inadvertently added into their grades at the end of the day because a lot of times students are getting group grades for things and that does require working well with other people and communication and being able to delegate tasks to each other. I mean, you can't really do your job unless you are able to do some of those softer skills with people too. Yeah, and I definitely have those built into mm-hmm. existing rubrics that I have. Like I definitely have a system where um, you know, I've, I've been slowly adding on almost all of my projects, a self and peer evaluation. Mm-hmm. Like I've been adding that in and I've been asking questions in there. I don't know that I'm necessarily asking the right questions, but I've been drifting in that direction. But I do feel like that there are larger pieces in this, you know, 
communication that, um, and I guess, I guess the, for me, the, this is my dilemma. Um, I'm in a very tracked school. You know, I mm-hmm. have my kids come in, um, and a lot of reason, a lot of cases, the kids who are coming in and taking honors bio, they're taking an honors math, they're taking an honors English. There's very much a tracking there. And there's a lot of kids who come in at the beginning of their school, and there's some people who will be like, oh, tracking's the worst. You know, it's terrible. And I'm like, great, tracking's the worst. It's the world I live in. So, like, I can't throw it out tomorrow. Right. Um, I, You know, I can work to disrupt the system as best I can. But changing a school of 2000 that's had this culture for a long time, that's not going anywhere tomorrow. Right. It's so, hard. So what happens when I have a kid who comes in as a freshman, and they're not ready for honors bio. So they go in, they take an earth science class, and they take, you know, the, a lower level bio as a sophomore and they find that, well, I think bio is super fascinating. And then they take chemistry and they're like, yeah, you know what? I'd really like to stretch and take AP bio. Cause I really think maybe down the low line, I'd want to, you know, pursue biology and they think of them th- themselves that way. Mm-hmm. And so they walk in, but they don't have the sets of skills that, that I think most of their peers would have from having taken honors biology, honors chemistry, honors geometry, honors algebra two, they're in honors pre-calc, maybe they're taking stats, like they're going to come in and they have all of these academic background, but they also have sort of the expectations that are are built into most of the honors classes. Mm-hmm. And so it's a double whammy. It's a, yes, you're starting at, you know, you're starting three feet behind the, in the race to your peers who have had a little bit more of depth of questions sure. and application and that sort of thing. But you also may not have necessarily had all of those skills. They may have those skills. Right. But I I also don't feel like I have any way of communicating to students how they need to grow to say, look, you stepped up. Let's not panic. Okay. These are, these are things, but these are the things that I'm expecting here. And here are some concrete ways that everyone needs to communicate. I, I feel like for students who have some of those outside skills, they'll, they'll be comforted of, well, I might be behind here, but I'm ahead here. And for the student who needs to grow, they have a, they have clear targets. Like we have learning targets. They also have clear targets of, oh, when I work in a group, this is the case. Oh, when I have a conflict in assessments, this is how I handle it. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what all this means, but um, I've just uh, hijacked your interview with uh, the the brainstorming that I've, you've, you've read some of this earlier today, I'm sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, yeah, this is something that I've been grappling with a lot lately. So hopefully when the show comes out, it will, I've figured the whole system out, but, um, uh, well, I have, you share it with the rest of us. Yeah. Um, I have, I have a feeling I've This is going to be a sort of something that nags on me the next six months, um, cool. as we go. All right. So, um, so we mentioned that you started, um, in, in this one school, you win the OBTA and then you do the logical thing that you get from winning the OBTA and you switch schools and you move to another school. Um, and it was, uh, you, you've, we've talked about it a little bit and, um, were you moving in, it was a newly built building. Um, had yes. there been students and teachers in there before you went in or were you like in the first group who went in or how did that work out? I'm an original owl. So I am one of the yeah. first teachers hired. Um, yeah, we are a brand new building and we are unlike any other building in the whole Kansas city area. Um, the building is a project-based school, and it's built to be more like a college campus and like a high school. Um, so it's a lot of glass walls and open classrooms and flex seating and maker spaces. It is just phenomenal facilities to work in. It's been really awesome in that way. Uh, yeah, and so as you go into a school like that, and you're like one of those first people in. Um, you don't have any norms. There are no traditions. Uh, there, like, so what has it been like to like be in a building that's 
like creating norms, creating traditions. I mean, I imagine it's it's not just like all like you know puppy dogs and rainbows. I'm sure there's like growing pains, but but I, but like, what has it been like to be establishing the culture of a new school? Oh, this is hands down been my hardest year teaching so far. This has been harder than my first year. Um, when we first opened the building, I think we were living in what we were like hoping to happen with our students five or 10 years down the road, rather than where our students actually were when they were coming to us in August. Um, so we don't have any seniors right now in our building. Um, our freshman class is our largest class and the juniors and sophomores we have are um, transfers from other building or other buildings in our district. And they were able to transfer if they wanted to basically. So, um, what this means is that we don't have any of the upperclassmen leadership. A lot of our juniors that we have are transferring to us because um, they were struggling at their home schools. Mm -hmm. um, so this was kind of like a fresh start for a lot of students in our building. And we've got probably twice the freshmen as any other class right now. <laughs> but we've got 14, 15 year olds running the place. Mm. Um, we were way too lax as a staff at the beginning of the year, too. Um, I don't think we took into account necessarily what our student population looked like. And we let, let them get away with basically way too much. So throughout the year, we've been kind of cracking down and trying to figure out what our expectations are for these students um, and what they are um, allowed to do during certain parts of the day. So like, for example, we have an hour long lunch period. Um, students have open uh, school campus, basically. They're supposed to use that hour-long time to eat, but also to use as a study hall or office hours to go see their teachers. But this has basically been an hour-long playtime for a lot of students until mm -hmm. we put some of the expectations and rules in place for them to follow. Um, it was also a challenge as a PBL school um, getting these students where they need to be with PBL, a lot of them have not experienced any of these big projects or um, being expected to work in teams and uh, community members. But it's something that they've thrown quite a bit um, on throughout the year. It's been really cool seeing that change. Um, mm -hmm. Students are a lot more confident. They seem to have way better uh, presentation skills and researching skills. And they seem a lot more open to taking risks and failing. Um, so that's been probably the coolest thing about opening the building, just seeing these changes that the students have made throughout the year and looking back at where they were in August versus where they are now in May. Yeah. So when you, you go forward, so you're going to have this like large freshman class that are ultimately going to be like, you know, they'll be the sort of first true four year, yes. four year students who go through are, are they putting their mark on sort of what they want this school to be, you know, aside from, Hey, great hour long lunches, but, um, are they, are, are the leaders and, you know, positive leaders mm -hmm. and, and, and the voice of identity of the school coming out of that group since they're the dominant group in the school? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them are definitely stepping up. Um, we do have teams of students that are meeting with administration and kind of adding their student voice to the direction the building is going in. It's been a lot of fun seeing them participate in things like that. They've had some really awesome ideas about how to get more people involved and out to different activities and build some of that school spirit. For example, we just had this gigantic car show up at the building on Saturday this past weekend. 
Philly probably had like 300 cars up there as a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a lot of these things have been student driven and it's been really cool watching them do that throughout the year. That's, that's very neat. I am, um, I'm curious about how the how it's going to impact in terms of of staff because you're also going to have to add, you know, a lot more people. Yeah. I would imagine uh, over the next few years. So you'll be adding in, you know, basically the teachers to teach the upperclassmen as well uh-huh. as you guys come in. So do you guys have like I, I would imagine you probably don't have a lot of the the junior and senior science electives at this point. Or a very few. Um, no, and a lot of us were hired with the expectation that we would be teaching those upper level classes once we had those upperclassmen within the building. So I was actually hired as the AP and college biology teacher, despite teaching four sections of freshman biology this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the new hires for next year are mostly stepping into more of the freshman roles. And a lot of us at the school, pre, like right now, are going to be moving up to the upperclassmen. So you're going to be teaching AP next year? For the first time, yeah. I'm really excited. A little nervous. Yeah, you got nobody to lean on. Uh, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was realizing that that you hang with you hang with quite a few AP teachers. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you can get access to a few resources. I know I know some of the labs you definitely are going to run. Uh, I can see the Leaf Disc Lab is going to take mm-hmm. up a substantial portion of your year. Uh, yep. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it'll be fun. I think. Uh, I think by the fact that you've been running this problem, you know, this um, this project-based learning model, it's actually going to lend itself very well to the new AP mm-hmm. um, and the way AP runs. So good. Uh, I think it's uh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting. So I, I guess we're sort of leaning into our our next question, which is like, in the upcoming years, what are you looking forward to? You 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 had this very challenging year, tough trials and tribulations, for a lot of different reasons, and and now you're in this new environment. What what are some of the specifics that you're looking forward to in the classroom in the next, you know, couple of years as the school builds and as, as you grow as a teacher? Um, well, I'm definitely really excited for taking on AP next year. And I've taught uh, dual enrollment college biology in the past three years or so, but it's not quite the same thing. I feel like there are uh, more expectations on for AP than there are for college bio. Um, I don't really have anyone looking over my shoulder, looking at how I do things right now. Um, I'm also really hoping to incorporate more data analysis and inquiry skills in all of my sections of biology next year. Mm. Um, that's something that I know I've struggled with, and I think a lot of other teachers in the building have struggled with. Just mm. that, like there's enough days of the school year to teach everything I want to teach. So right now, and we are doing a big focus on PBL. And as much as I love PBL, I think that is also taking away from uh, inquiry lab time. So mm-hmm. previous years, we had maybe spent a whole week on a single lab, and we were able to dive very deep into that lab and have students kind of ask their own questions and analyze the data on a deeper level than what I've been able to do this year. So next year is going to be, for me, Finding that balance between uh, PBL and inquiry, because I think the students are really kind of lacking in their science skills. Mm. Here. Um, they've been great in you know, researching and coming up with solutions and designs for things, but the data and the graphing, communicating what that means to other people, I think has been maybe a lacking more receiver. Yeah, I guess I didn't. 
I didn't think of of the lab skills as being as different as the project skills. But I, as you you say that, I can completely yeah. I can see those gaps, um, in sense of that they're they're not necessarily spending as much time, maybe developing the question because right. you know you're providing them sort of the a bit of a challenge on the project and mm -hmm. they're going from there and building up as opposed to them generating the yeah. questions and what's the difference between an open question and a closed question right. and how do you tie your variables to your question and how do you tie a system to a question and mm -hmm. and those are you know you're almost saying like to me to the as you described it I was thinking that you what you're doing is a much more of an engineering mindset than a science mindset it's, it sure feels that. that way yeah so and I know you have some robotics background so that was I'm sure you're very comfortable with that having worked with the robotics groups yeah. but yeah, I can hear that that difference um, in there. Um, it's interesting. So, when in Kansas, what's is the? It, do you guys have NGSS style uh, like state assessments coming down uh, the pike? We do have a state assessments, and I think that's been maybe rewritten in the last year or two. I don't know a whole lot about it. I've never given the test or anything. My previous school, we were. Um, an exception to state assessments. So since we were an urban school, we were able to apply to get some leeway on certain things. And state assessments was one of those things where we didn't wow. have to give them. We give every student the ACT instead. And that counted towards our assessment grade for the school. Huh. Yeah. So state assessments for Kansas, I don't know a whole lot about them. I just have <sighs> experienced them as a teacher. That's weird. I, I mean, I'm sure it's not. It's, I'm, you know, again, this is sort of I'm showing my my lack of of understanding in depth, whereas like I know what happens in Massachusetts and I have a pretty good grasp of what happens in New York. Um, yeah. But like and, and from California and a couple of other states. But like I don't like the concept that an urban school would be exempt having taught in so many schools in Massachusetts. Like, no, no, the urban schools are not exempt from our, our MCAS test at all. Yeah. Um, like the idea like, yeah, we're just going to give everyone the SAT and you don't have to like, no, that's, um, yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that going over in, in our state. So, um, so I guess uh, that'll be weird. I'm going to, I'm going to have to look into that to see what the test is. Cause we're in the process of, we actually just got some, uh, some information that it was handed down. Not, it was not like earth shattering or anything, but we're in the middle of tra transitioning from a very content based exam to one that is. Uh, we'll call it NGSS adjacent. It's um, it's 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 kind of like NGSS in some ways. Okay. Um, it's much more like an NGSS assessment than a content-based assessment. Um, I, I the language choices seem curious to me, but sure. um, but regardless, it is going in that direction, and we got a little bit of clarity from the state because we're going from this very content thing to something that's going to have all these you know, processes and practices built into the test, which is not something our kids have ever been assessed on. Yeah. And, and next year we're going to have a bridge year. So they're like, this is what the 2019 assessment's going to be like. It's going to be sort of this overlap exam. That's not quite the old exam, but not quite the full new exam. It's going to be like where the standards, the old standards and new standards overlap is sure. what they're going to assess for a year. sort of encouraging us to move in that direction. Um, but yeah, I, I was, Boy, I'm taking you totally. You totally stumped me on that one. So, um, so yeah. So inquiry will be good. I mean, AP is going to have to be driven completely by inquiry. Um, and done a lot with like CER in my college biology class, um, rather than the whole PBL thing. But 
for my freshman classes, I really need to find a better balance between more the inquiry and the projects. It's just, it's tough to do everything you want to do in the school year. So yeah. Enough time with them. Yeah. I feel like I've gone, I've gone pretty heavy CERs this year with my alternative program kids. Mm -hmm. And I do one CER with my honors. I do one project and one CER mm -hmm. in my honors classes every quarter as a formal. And I want to add more informal CERs, more yeah, like for sure. white, whiteboarding out, like not something that necessarily takes, you know, two, you know, two, three days to work out that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But they do the lab and that we had to take a period and they do like a whiteboard and they, and I've done a little bit more of that, but I definitely want them to do more data analysis. But I could see that if I had the, the expectation that I was going to be doing two or three projects or even projects that that bridged much longer than what we do yeah. that would that would create a a much narrower window to do those types of activities so yeah. um it'll be interesting to see how that balance works out and maybe a again sort of going back to our original conversation about you know the feedback that you provide students i wonder if you might have some classes that you do spend more time with projects on based off of the feedback and the needs of the students and other groups that you spend a little bit more time doing more inquiry on based off yeah. of the feedback of where the students are and whether or not the culture of the school will allow for that flexibility when you're supposed to be all about projects will be a, will be an interesting uh, an interesting dynamic. So, all right. So uh, let's step out of the classroom for a minute and say, you know, when you're not teaching, what do you like to do? Um. So I do get together with a couple other my teacher friends and we play tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um. So. We just started a new campaign this month, and we meet that once a month and do that. Um, I'm really big into herping, so I go out a lot of weekends in the spring and fall especially and go catch snakes and turtles and <laughs> turtle um, lizards and stuff like that. Um, I have a pretty large collection of sci-fi and fantasy novels, so I like going around and getting author signatures and going to cons and stuff for things like that. And I'm also a big craft beer nerd, so I drink a lot of beer and go to a lot of beer festivals. <laughs> I feel like Great. it's necessary with all the teaching. <laughs> it's very, very mean of you to be in a library during this podcast uh, that you uh, <laughs> you can't do that. Well, yeah, I think you've got, you know, what do you got out there? You got uh, Boulevard out there, so uh -huh. you, know, you got a lot of smaller places too. But uh, yeah, Bo sure. Boulevard's the one that gets out to me, so. Yeah, so it's one of my one of my favorites. Uh, this is Tank Seven Boulevard from Boulevard from your from your neck of the woods. Well, awesome choice. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's high up on my list of of beers. All right, so you got like you've got all the nerd a hit. You got beer nerd, you got old school nerd, you got sci fi fantasy, you got you got the uh, bio nerd. You got them all covered. That's that's some good. You got some good nerd cred. I uh, thanks. Yeah, like I you know it makes me feel like you know. As I wear my um, my Ravenclaw shirt here, I I don't know if uh, you could tell my uh, Ravenclaw shirt as we're, as we record here. Um, I, this is the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, I think is the exact uh, phrasing on that. All right. So before we get to picks of the week, uh, do you have any questions for me? Um, you know, I did not prepare any. So especially since we haven't actually talked before this podcast. So is no, there we to know you a little bit and uh, have me on your show. Um, yeah. I mean, we had a little, it's funny, like it was it, just a couple last couple of days we've had start. you know, we've been going back and forth a little bit or almost like past each other a little bit on the Slack yeah, yeah. on these conversations to get a little bit of that feedback. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's fine. I mean, it's a uh, it's late on a Monday. It's uh it's the not don't have to have any questions for me in here. Um, I was actually thinking that it was how how funny it was that like I I was I was wondering how I missed your session um, at um, at the NABT this year. And I was like, why did, why wasn't I at that session? Like, that seems like totally right up my alley. Why wasn't I not at that session? What could I possibly been at during that session? You know where I was during that session? Did you I was in, too? I was in Brad's session. Because oh, uh, okay. uh, Brad was running his his, uh, his session during that. So I'm like, what could I possibly have been dro- Oh, Brad. Brad was there. So. Brad, you got to go to Brad. Yeah. So, yeah, I sat in Brad's modeling session, which I still haven't, I don't think, completely unpacked. I'm not still not 100% sure what happened there. Um, I still have those files he made me download during that session, but um, I'm still processing it. And what made it worse is I was sitting next to John Darko, who was like nodding along. Yep, computer models. Yep, totally get it. Yep. And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I, uh, Brad was giving away a lot of his books now that he's retired. So we went over to his house and he probably gave me a dozen of his old resources and things like that. And I'm still just looking at all these resources that he gave me that made Brad, Brad, the teacher he is, and it's a lot to take in. There's always something I'm learning from him. Yeah, I figured that what I want to do is like I've 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 been fishing a little bit over my life, and um, it's always been sort of my my deep. Like I've always really kind of wanted to get back into fly fishing. Mm-hmm. I got into it a little bit very briefly when I was younger, and then I went away from it, and I haven't gotten back. And I've thought, you know what? Like, if there's ever a reason to get into fly fishing. Um, is so that I could become proficient enough to get a fly fishing that I could go out and find Brad and then just stand, like, maybe just walk with him to, and get, like, talk to him for 10 minutes while we're walking to a place to fly fish, and then we'll shut up because, you know, with the travel hear us. But, um, but then, like, just stand out there and just be in the aura of Brad. But having those 10-minute conversations to and from the stream, I think I've just become much a better teacher right there, uh, right from that. So. Plus, you know, a bad day fishing is, is still a pretty good day. So, um, all right. So, uh, so that's fine. You'll, you'll uh, hit me up on the Slack for some questions, uh, in the weeks to come. So, uh, let's get to, uh, picks of the episode. You've dropped in a giant link here. Um, uh, three and, of them. I had a hard time oh, deciding. Yeah. All right. So, so you've got three links. Uh-huh. So, um, I see what they are. So tell us about the, the links. What are your picks of the episode? Um, so they are not necessarily related to teaching biology, but just more general um, teaching like, mm-hmm. uh, stories I thought in, were interesting over the last year or two or so. Um, I've been reading a whole lot about screen time and what it's doing to teenage brains and how it's, we've seen this rise over the past 10 years or so in ADHD and depression and anxiety um, and how that correlates with the rise of smartphones and always being tied to social media. Um, so this is something I've just thought a lot about as someone who does suffer from depression and anxiety. And the whole reason I uh, incorporated this whole standards-based grading system is to hopefully alleviate some of those things for my students as well and to take some of the pressure off of them with due dates and things like that, just trying to focus on the learning, not so much collecting points. Um, I also lost a student early on this year um, to suicide, and it was something that really shook me as a teacher. It was the first time I had gone through that. It just seems like it's been this huge epidemic recently. Um, We've had, I don't know how many, probably a dozen or so suicides within my district just this year alone. Mm -hmm. So 
it's something I've been interested in, just the whole tie between technology usage and uh, teenage mental health and what we can do about it as teachers. So just something that I'm trying to be more aware of when I use technology in the classroom. Uh, we are a one-to-one -one school, and if we use technology, I try to make sure that is something that is giving the students something that they couldn't get through other means. Because I feel like computers are being used every single one of their classes, all day, every day. So that's seven hours at school, plus whatever the students are getting at home. And, you know, they're probably on their computers 10, 12 hours a day or their phones. So I just thought it was interesting reading. It's something I try to think a lot about. You know. Yeah. So you've got... The first article is about um, screens in schools. The mm -hmm. It's from Time, the Screens, Schools, Hoax mm -hmm. article. Um, I've seen that. Um, when you when I look at that article, it makes me think, um, I give my students choice on um, homework. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically I tie the learning objectives to it. And I always give them a video um, and a textbook set. Sure. Um, like, so they could choose. And um, I, I survey the kids about like what they're doing. I, I do I, usually early in the year. I check in and some of the reasons and you know why they choose this one versus that one. And I, I sort of force choice a little bit. I tell them they have to try different ways of doing the homework. Mm -hmm. And one of the advantages that kids oftentimes put down for why they pick the textbook is you know it's not time on screens. They yeah. actually will say that as a as a reason not to be on there. And I, it always makes me pause when they say that because um, it's something that it's clearly on the student's radar, you know, at least some mm -hmm. student's radar when they think about that. Um, and then your second article and third article, both New York Times, um, and the first one, you know, is why are more teenagers than ever suffering from severe anxiety? And the second one is about uh, teenage depression um, mm -hmm. that's in there. And uh, something that I've alluded to on some past podcasts, but we went through not this past year, but the year before within our district, we had a, and we, you know, we're not the same size district, I don't think. We're, we're a smaller district, and we had a large number of suicides within district mm -hmm. um, from students who were recent graduates to students within the school and, you know, several who were tied to the high school uh, mm -hmm. within a given year. And it's – I totally understand what you're saying, like that 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 pause of of a little bit of helplessness, like – this is something that's bigger than any one person. Like this is bigger than, this is bigger than you. Like this is bigger than you as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, this is not reflect on any given individual within the school. Sure. Um, but it, you are a member of a community that hits there, but it also does. Um, I think for me, it, it is sort of focused a little bit. Some of those, like, what are we doing questions? Like, you know, like, how are we, how are we treating the kids? How do we, how are we helping the kids grow to being good functional adults? Because mm -hmm. clearly there's students who are not getting there. And again, there are students who are not getting there, not because of any one thing we're doing, but it sort of sharpens that focus on what are the things that we can do that will help them um, become better. Like, are, how are we actively working to make them better citizens and better people and healthy people, healthy, yep. happy people? Um, so, yeah, it's a... Uh, it, it's maybe not the most springtime thing, but it's, I think, a very good time to reflect as we get into, you know, this is prime reflection time yes. on how, how did the year end? What what was, uh you know, what do we want to make better? Um, 
as I look at all of those things, I should say, I want to make sure that uh, for myself personally um, and for for you as well, um, also remember all the things that went well because <laughs> sure. there were a million things that went well this year. Um, it's just so much. I am. That's not my personality. My personality is never to go like, oh, look at all of my successes. I'm not, that's not who I am. But so like, what can I do better next year? Yeah, but I, I probably need to spend a little bit more time from that mental health standpoint of, yeah. <laughs> no, I did. I did good things this year. Uh, and uh, maybe there's I need to build in a week you know uh we're recording this during teacher appreciation week maybe that's at least the focus for this week uh is these are things i did well this year and the next week i can beat myself up about all the things that need to get better so all right well my pick of the episode is um related uh believe it or not um it's from the every little thing podcast um are you familiar with uh every little thing uh or maybe flora lichtman uh flora lichtman used to be the um so you, she used to be like the person who create videos for Science Friday, um, and she now hosts a podcast called Every Little Thing. It's usually about twenty minute podcast, and they put out like one or two a month. And this one's actually from uh, back in December, and it's called Your Bedtime Is Killing You, um, and it's from. Uh, so Flora sat down and she. It was fascinating. So what she did is she sat down and she interviewed the guy who wrote the book Why We Sleep, um, and and he was kind of everywhere at that time, but. Rather than doing an episode, which was Flora sitting down and interviewing this guy and talking to him and just having him talk about his book, she sat down and talked with like the person she works with on the podcast mm-hmm. and sort of interrogated him about his sleeping habits and then dropped in little audio clips from the author about like all of the reasons why not having enough sleep is really bad for you. Um, and like, it kind of like he, she called it an intervention, like, uh, you know, like how she was having like an intervention about his sleep habits. Um, on the show. So I thought it was, uh, and I've heard many interviews of the, the why we sleep guy. And there's a lot of correlations in that video, in that book um, that's in there. There's a lot of correlations between um, inadequate sleep, poor sleep, and a lot of bad health outcomes. Um, I think, you know, everyone sort of is aware of, of, of that book. Um, If you've been, if you're a podcast junkie, you certainly have heard about him, heard him interviewed a million times. Um, But I think that for me, like, this is one of those things that like I need to have like a constant reminder of making myself go to bed because I think my natural cycle for me and next year we started late we actually we talked about this today in a faculty meeting um, our start time moves to 807 next year our first class this year starts at 723 it's way too early yeah so we're shifting pretty dramatically yeah I mean that's that's a 45 minute shift um, and so like, I haven't figured out how this is gonna work for me like whether or not this means I get up the way I get up now and then I just can go to bed because like I've had 45 minutes in the morning to work. Um, and so I don't like, I can knock my to-do list down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think my natural like sleep rhythm, like if I was sort of up to me is I would like, I would sleep like midnight to eight. Like that would be ideal for me. Um, my, I, I picked a really bad job for that um, <laughs> to be my natural uh, sleep wake cycle. Um, so I think I have, I have pretty bad. I think the phrase would be sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. Um, so listening to this was sort of another one of me reminding myself of, oh, these are bad habits I have. And um, I think I've done a lot better job making sure I get seven hours sleep a night this year, which um, may not sound like enough. It's I know it's not enough. But I've been really conscious of really trying to get myself to bed so I give myself a chance of seven hours of sleep. Um, I should be getting eight, but but I've been really working hard 
So maybe next year I'll work really hard to get seven and a half hours sleep. Uh, but this year I worked really hard to try to establish sort of a bedtime routine that I would get myself to bed at, um, you know, at a time where I could settle in and read and then be like restful and asleep for seven hours. Gave my, I gave myself an opportunity to sleep for seven hours. And I'll be honest, it's been years since I've done that. Um, so I, this is like a sort of my own personal, uh, my own personal journey of my own bad habits. And, you know, I think this is part of your like mental health and well-being is having these kind of good outside habits that prevent you from doing things that like, you know, I know I'm not at my best when I'm sleeping yeah. five and a half hours a night. Um, you know, I get sicker and grumpier, um, you know, like all of those things. So, uh, this is my little my little plug on this, and I, I you know you can check out the book as well. But I think that the podcast is a it's a little twenty minute uh, little clip that's a, a funny little window into uh, somebody who has worse sleep habits than me, um, uh, t- talking about how their reaction was to this uh, uh, to this, and uh, it also relates a lot to my students because I think my students have pretty bad sleep habits. So. Yeah, a lot of them do. All right. Well, Kelly, this was a this was a great talk. Um, you gave me a lot to think about, particularly about standards based grades and. And how we how we assess, and uh, also a lot about school culture. Like I'm thinking a lot about school. I think it's going to be one of those things that I'm going to reflect back a lot on school culture. Mm-hmm. So, so thanks. This is a great conversation. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. This is a lot of fun. All right. So let me give you my credits. Um, my you can support this episode um, and all of our episodes uh, by going to Patreon.com/slash lots. Um, I send out my episodes a little early to Patreons. I also post them up in a Slack community. Uh, for those who are supporters of that, and it's supporters of both myself and John Darko and David Kanufke. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by Jank Jenkins and X Magicians. Uh, show notes can be found also at lifeoftheschool.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. You can also follow Kelly at Cluthy Science, which I put a link into the show notes as well. So thanks for joining me and all of you people who are in your last week of school. Enjoy that last week. Those of you in the Northeast, yeah, we got a month to go. Uh, And I'll talk to everybody soon.